welcome to Raw the Podcast with Emma and Amy, where we talk real and raw with mamas who have had to fight and be fierce, who have been thrown curveballs and faced adversity. We discuss everything from premature birth and NICU life to special needs and infant loss. Nothing is off topic. We hope that by opening up and being vulnerable, we can break down the walls and start to remove some of the shame and stigma associated with these traumatic experiences while helping other mamas feel less alone. I'm Emma, a rural living mum to two preemie and medically complex girls, Hazel Earthside and our warrior Willow up in the stars. And I'm Amy, special needs and medical mama to preemie boys James and Jack and a fierce advocate for the preemie and special needs community. We don't share your average mama stories and this isn't your average podcast. Raw is unrefined and breaks through the bullshit of navigating guilt, grief and trauma. I mean, let's be honest, we've been through more shit than some could ever imagine. So at this point, we don't really have a filter. But with this being said, please note, we do talk about sensitive topics in our episodes, which we know can be distressing. We give this warning simply to empower you, our audience, with the knowledge you need to make healthy decisions about how and if you should consume this podcast content. Please take care of yourselves and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. And lastly, let us assure you that it's not all bad and sad. Above all, we hope to shine a light on the life-changing perspective and appreciation that only these experiences can give you. We share the overwhelming joys and triumphs that our little miracles, both here and in heaven, bring to our lives. And we discuss the inspiration and hope we have gained from this community. While our experiences are individually unique, we are forever a part of something truly special. A community of fierce mama bears and their cubs navigating the storm. And together we'll roar. Welcome back everyone to Raw the podcast. We're so excited to have you here for our second episode. I know it feels like just yesterday we were talking to each other and I was telling you my story and um, we're so excited for you guys to hear that. Yeah. Obviously we're a bit delayed in recording so you guys are going to hear our very first episode very soon um, but tonight we're going to speak to the other other side of this team of hosts and we're going to speak to Amy about her incredible story and um, I'm certainly looking forward to learning a lot but before we get into this episode I would just like to give a trigger warning for our audience about the topics that will be discussed today. Infertility, miscarriage, trauma and anxiety are all important but touchy subjects to be spoken about so if you feel that this is not right for you please feel free to not listen or seek help if this triggers you in any way. So I'm going to jump straight into it. I know you're feeling a little bit nervous, Amy. I am. I was just saying, I, yeah, I've told this story a hundred times over. Um, I'm very open, honest. Um, if anyone follows me on social media, you know that I share everything. Um, I'm not shy. So <laughs> yeah, I've even done other podcasts as a guest and had no nerves, but tonight I am like sweating. We'll be right. Literally. Know how you felt, Emma, last week? Yeah, mm. yeah. Especially when it's your own story, and you're like you said, you're saying it for yourself and your family, but also for the people around you. So it's hard. You just want to make sure that you don't miss things and stuff. But yeah, and I know, I know, so many people um, can relate, and I want to, I guess, do yeah. it justice. Yeah, yep. But yeah. But anyway, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's get it over with. <laughs> Okay, so a lot of you probably already know a lot about Amy through her social medias, um, Raising Jack and James and also Miracle Mama. Um, 
So you didn't have the smoothest process falling pregnant. Tell me about your long journey with infertility and how and when did it all start? Yeah, so um, Scott and I met quite young actually at 19 and we'd been together for a good, oh, I reckon, seven, six or seven years before we got engaged and got married. Um, but then we sort of tried the children pretty quickly. Um, I just went off the pill, which I'd been on for 10 years um, as most mm. people are at that, at that young age, um, expecting it to just happen, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't think I'd have any troubles. And we'd been trying for, I think it was about 14 months. Um, and that was the point that we decided to go and seek help. Um, in that 14 months, I think I'd had about two periods. So that yeah. gave us two chances of even falling pregnant, essentially. So I just wasn't ovulating on my own. Initially, I got told it was just that... Um, I'd been on the pill for so long and my body needed time to adjust. Um, but then eventually Repromed um, took us on and did some tests and um, they did figure out that I didn't ovulate on my own. So we did ovulation induction to try and fall pregnant, which is just taking drugs, essentially hormones to make you ovulate. Um, and we finally fell pregnant on the third cycle of that. So pretty quickly. Um Unfortunately, though, that ended in a miscarriage. So we um we didn't know. I just went in for the early dating scan at about I think it was about eight weeks. Um, we were so excited. Scott came along. Um, you know, this is what we've been dreaming of for a couple of years, and it was finally our turn. And they just I just I'll never forget the moment. Um, it was a long time ago now, but I'll never forget that that moment that the sonographer sort of turned to me and said that there was no heartbeat. Um. Yeah. 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 And that would be so devastating after such a long period of of trying and going through all the medications and the three cycles and the money yeah. that goes into doing IVF. It's not cheap and often not supported. Um, so yeah. that just adds so much more stress onto it and just so much more pressure to have that pregnancy and to have it ripped away from you so early would have just been devastating. Yeah, I think mostly we were um, like we had no idea because I didn't have any signs that I was miscarrying. Yeah. So again, it was like a massive shock. Um, so, we, you know, we never yeah. expected to have trouble falling pregnant and then we never expected yeah. to miscarry. Like it was a, you know, a monitored cycle. So we assumed that everything was going to work well. You know, my hormone levels had been fine. Um, it just was so unexpected. And then I guess, you know, following on from that that trying to get the guts <laughs> to do it all mm. over again um that was the big thing yeah. um so I ended up having a DNC which is just um, a surgery because I wasn't obviously losing the pregnancy on my own so it's a surgery to remove um the embryo essentially from my uterus yeah okay um, and then here's where it gets a bit happier so I went back after <laughs> that surgery for my six-week checkup and they took bloods and I was pregnant <laughs> I'd fallen pregnant naturally. How crazy. Isn't it just insane? Um, Just the way the world works. Yeah. The doctors say that it was because they cleaned me out basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, And it freshened up my lining and, yeah, I don't even know how I ovulated on my own, but I did. It was like a kickstart. Yeah. So, So after having a miscarriage at eight weeks, did you feel like once you did fall pregnant, were you worried to announce to everyone that you were pregnant again? Like were you worried you would miscarry again or how did you go about telling people that you were pregnant? 
yeah so we were obviously really anxious especially in those first um that first trimester um we Mm. didn't I didn't we obviously didn't say anything apart from you know close family and friends until um we had the first scan because again that was where it all went wrong with the first pregnancy but like I was saying I, I was sharing on social media by this point and I was actually really um open about it because I don't want I didn't want others to feel like they had to hide away um either yeah I know there's this you know rule about only sharing pregnancies after 12 weeks and I understand for some people why why they want to do that but I kind of at that point was trying to remove some of that stigma and I didn't want to um for sure I was kind of and I was kind of getting support from multiple people on social media by that point like I found a lot of support online um so by opening up I'd have you know multiple people jump into my inbox and they'd like help me get through so um I think I announced we did wait until the first scan and there was a heartbeat um so I guess that sort of relaxed us and made me feel you know like I was safe and um and again I know that that just because there's a heartbeat it's not (laughs) doesn't mean you're safe but that that was our reassurance and then yeah we shared quite early I reckon around the 10 10 week mark yeah yeah oh that's so awesome so yeah flash forwards and let's talk about when you delivered James and your sort of birth story in the lead up to him, what happened? Yeah. yeah, so James was, his pregnancy wasn't, I wouldn't say stress-free, but it wasn't now that I look back <laughs> and have Jack's yeah. pregnancy to compare it to, I'm kind of like, God, that was a walk in the park. But James's <laughs> pregnancy was sort of, um, I just, all of the scans, I remember them saying that he was always in the same spot and he didn't move. Um Mm-hmm. I was reassured lots of times that it was normal, um, that it, everything was fine. But the 20-week scan, his head um, circumference was a little bit off and they kept saying that he's got a really small, misshaped head. You know, these are all things that you really mm-hmm. want to hear at your scan, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> thanks. How yeah, reassuring, not... <laughs> especially after you've had a miscarriage and gone through what you had to get to that point. It's like, you know what, if you see it, I don't want to know about it. Just yeah. if it's important, tell me. But if it's not, I don't want to know. <laughs> Yeah, and there was like there was another scare that ended up not having to be a scare. Like we, the sonographer f- saw something in my uterus mm. that could have been life threatening, um, oh. so referred me to the women's and children's. And of course, me and Scott are like, right, this is it again. This is happening. Um, yeah. And then when we went to the women's and children's hospital for the official like um, scan, they were like, oh, that's just the shape of your. It was literally just the shape of my uterus. So <gasps> oh, um, no. at that point, they found out that I had a what was called a heart-shaped uterus so um, my uterus mm-hmm. dipped in at the top and they think that that's why okay. well, they thought at that point that that's why James was um, stuck he was sort of yeah not didn't have a full uterus to grow in and then yeah, at, right. after all that at 30 weeks I got up one morning to go to an early shift at work and I lost my mucus plug at the time, mm. I kind of Googled first pregnancy. I didn't know. That's an image you don't want to see on Google <laughs> Images, by the way, everyone. Whatever you do, I do know. not Google mucus plug. Um, mucus plug. And <laughs> I, I even, I said, I took a photo of it, of course. Why, why oh, wouldn't you? As and you I do. Sent, yeah. I sent it to my sister-in-law because she'd had a baby. I was like, right, you know, she's an expert. And yeah. I Googled it. and it She's sort probably of said, opened her phone and gone, what the fuck is yes. this? <laughs> At six o'clock in the morning, like, what's this big bother? Oh, charming. Snot? <laughs> um, so, the, like, Google just said that it can be normal and that you can regrow your mu- mucus plug. So I just went off to work. But my sister-in-law, obviously, when she woke up and was shocked by that delightful image, um, messaged me. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, I don't know that that is normal. I think you should at least call your obstetrician, which I did. And... um. 
he wanted to see me straight away purely because of the fact that my uterus was odd shaped he just wanted to be safe yeah um so we saw him he did an internal exam I swear this day I reckon about 20 people saw my cervix um if you haven't been through that experience in your life I was like does anyone else want to have a look down there yeah Especially um, when they're males and they're like, you're like spread eagle on the table yeah, and they're all just yeah. like peering over and you're like, everyone, just come in. Why, why yeah. close the door? Just oh, Welcome, everyone. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's, he thought I'd broken um, my waters, that like he thought he could see a bit of fluid pooling in my um, mm. vagina. So he sent me down mm. to the Women's and Children's Hospital again just to get an assessment. And we, even driving down, Scott and I are like, eh, this is nothing. This is all a big scare. Um, yeah. I had no symptoms again, but while I was in women's and children's, um, they were actually thinking about sending me home. They did a swab and I hadn't broken my waters. And then yeah. in an instant, I heard the alarm bell going off and I realized mm. it was for me. Um, oh I had gosh. doctors and nurses rushing in. I was rolled on my side, oxygen on my face. And they said that the baby's heart rate had dropped too low for too long. Um, and that they were talking about sending me straight to theater. Um, and then it all sort of, they put the official, like this was just on the CTG monitoring. So they put an official ultrasound on me and it had corrected that the heart rate was fine. Um, but they admitted me for the night and that night at 7pm, I broke my waters completely. So mm-hmm. um, if they hadn't what admitted me, I, I know, if they hadn't admitted me and just for, just for monitoring, I would have probably delivered James at home, <laughs> to be honest. Um, wow. So anyway, my waters broke. They do what they do when your waters break it. So I was 30 weeks at that point. They gave me all these drugs, um, put a catheter in, did everything they could to try and stop the labour. They gave me drugs to protect um, my baby on, like if he did come early, um, steroids, mm-hmm. magnesium, all the things that Premier and NICU mums know about. Um, yeah. But I, essentially I just continued to labour despite their best efforts to stop it. And the next day I went from zero centimetres to nine centimetres dilated in like half an hour and Wowza. I remember I looked at the nurse and I just said I feel like I need to poo and she just looked at me and said shit and her face just dropped <laughs> and the doctor came in and did an internal and again there was an alarm bells and she goes we need to go now and I had to go to theatre because bubs was breech and because of my uterus yeah, shape okay. they wouldn't let me deliver yeah. naturally so I was yeah. it's like a scene out of a movie I always say it was I can't even describe it I was they were pushing me down the corridor Mm-hmm. I had the anaesthetist running beside the bed, getting me to sign consent form, saying that he needed to put me to sleep. And I'm yelling at him, shivering, crying, saying, you're not putting me yeah. to sleep. I'm going to be awake. And he said, there's no time. Maybe this baby needs to be out now. Um, so, I, yeah, I got to theatre. I Within, I reckon, eight minutes of the alarm bells going, um, he was out. Um, so they put me to uh. sleep. I remember a nurse just saying, don't close your eyes until you physically – need to like else you'll feel them making the cut <laughs> so yeah yeah it's just such a full-on process oh and it's like looking back I don't even it doesn't feel like my like we talked about last no. week you're not relating yeah. it to yourself and it is it's yeah. like an out-of-body experience and Scott yeah. was there and he was throwing a pair of scrubs and told to get dressed for theater but then because they had put me to sleep he wasn't even allowed in the room so he, he was just allowed. I don't even remember saying goodbye to him um yeah yeah and I think because like health professionals they do such an incredible job but I think because they do stuff like that so often they forget 
that there is a mum and a dad on the other end that has no idea what's going on and yeah. they forget yeah. the process and they're just in auto drive, like, like, let's get this baby out. And you're just like, tell me what's going on. Like, tell my husband what's going on. And um, But they do what they got to do. Yeah. So it was a code zero. That's what they call it. And um, yeah. it's, it's basically um, life-threatening to mum and baby and it needs to get out now. So um, I can understand why it needs to be done quickly. But Scott said he remembers when he was like changing into the scrubs in the bathroom, just looking in the mirror. And it was only even it was only then that it hit him that this was happening. Like he just remembers looking in the yeah. mirror and going, shit, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. yeah, it just happens so quickly, especially when up until yeah. that morning or, the, yeah, the morning before, like... We were pregnant and fine. Yeah, completely Happy. normal. Yeah. 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 So obviously delivering at 30 weeks, you're still 10 weeks early. So tell us about James's journey. He obviously had a bit of a stay in the NICU. So tell us about yeah. that. Yeah. So his stay was actually relatively smooth. So apart from his first sort of 48 hours, which were a bit critical, he was born with a platelet disorder. So his... Um, Platelet levels were severely low when he was born and they were worried, obviously, about bleeding. Um, so he had mm-hmm. ultrasounds and um, of his brain, um, which showed a tiny bleed there. But, like, I was told on that first day that if he was delivered vaginally that um, he would, probably wouldn't have survived. He would have had a brain bleed. Um, like, hearing those things yeah. the day after you've gone through something so traumatic was just, like, I just remember not even, like, the doctor was kneeling down describing everything to me and I was just blank like I just remember looking at him his lips yeah. moving but I don't think I was taking anything in yeah no um, and how can you when you've just been through such yeah, a traumatic yeah. experience and like it's one thing on top of the other like it just keeps building up like I hadn't even processed that I'd had a baby um yeah you know I hadn't even held him yet and here's a doctor yeah sitting beside me telling me that he might have bleeding on his brain and that um he needed like a life-saving platelet transfusion that was being flown over from interstate like a really rare uh, about a rare disorder and I'm just yeah it was just crazy Um, but he after that first 48 hours and a few platelet transfusions which um, helped um, he basically just needed to grow and come home so he spent five weeks in the nursery which is incredible so he came home at 35 weeks which is amazing for a 30 weeker um he came home with his nasogastric tube still in for I think only another week or two and then he was um Mm -hmm. fully breastfed after that so yeah he just smashed smashed it yeah what a little trooper um so you've said that um his stay in the NICU and also your journey with the infertility and miscarriage in the lead up is what brought you to your incredible business that you have now Miracle Mama not only does Amy sell beautiful little premature baby clothes and milestone cards, but she also blogs. Um, she's a huge supporter of our community. She fundraises. She often donates a lot of um, profits and items to local hospitals. So we're so lucky yeah. to have her. Um, oh, but tell thanks. us what made you start doing that. Yeah, so um, it actually goes back to James's first day in the nursery. So I did manage to get a, cu- a cuddle with him at about 20, 20 hours old, I think he was. Um, and the nurse, like, I'll never forget this nurse, her name was Mel. I'm still friends with her on Facebook. Hi, Mel. Mm. Um, she she popped him on my chest for skin on skin cuddles and she handed me a journal, um, just a notebook, and she said, write everything down, just document every little milestone. That's what will get you through. 
Um, and that's exactly what I did. So for the next five weeks, uh, every day in that journal, I wrote down, you know, everything from how much he weighed through to what tests he had, um, how, what he was drinking, um, even the names of his nurses, um, mm-hmm. everything. And I took photos and I'd share them um, with family and friends um, saying what milestones he'd reached that day. And I remember going, oh, hang on, I've got baby milestone cards at home that I'd bought you know, for my, for this baby. And I looked at yeah. them and it's like, oh, today I rolled for the first time. And I was like, well, that's not yeah. going to be happening. Um, no. You know, today I smiled for the first time. I'm like, well, he's not going to smile for like months, like past yeah. what he would, a, a newborn term baby would. And I was like, yeah. someone needs to create car, milestone cards for NICU for preemie babies. And so that's where the idea sort of sparked. Obviously then um, I didn't think anything more of it until I got home and I was mm-hmm. on maternity leave and I started sort of researching, designing. I have no experience with any of this with business, with design programs, but I just sort of self-taught and I researched a lot. I spoke to other Premier families. I spoke to NICU nurses about what milestones to include because obviously I hadn't had a micro Premier and I needed um, to include all babies. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and then after nine months, well, nine months after James was born, I actually launched Miracle Mama, which seems crazy. I don't know how I did it all in that time when I was on maternity leave, but um, I was yeah. so passionate um, about supporting yeah. others because I felt so alone in NICU. I just remember yeah. not one, I didn't know anyone that had had a preemie baby, like not one person that yeah. I knew. Um, I didn't know who to turn to. I tried to talk to family and friends around me, but no one got it. Um, and I'm like, I, like you're in this, you're in NICU or the nursery, and you're surrounded by people who are going through the same thing as you are, but you don't know it until you're in there. No. Like you don't realize yeah. how common it is, and um, yeah, it's like it's like a little um like community in there like you just want to wrap your arms around everyone and yeah so that's what sparked it and then yeah after I launched it about nine months later I um I just got an immediate uh, response from the online community so it grew really quickly I had people I reckon like two days after I put up my first post I had people coming and picking up sets of the cards that you know didn't even have packaging yet (laughs) like it was just wrapped in brown paper um and yeah. people were donating sets to hospital and they were sharing their stories yeah. and it just, yeah, it just grew from there. And now it's, yeah, five years later yeah. um, and it's what it is yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. You have done an amazing job and I know you you have helped and you continue to help so many families and mums. You've created a community for people that we thought we didn't have so go you girl you've done an (laughs) amazing job and you've done that from such a heartfelt place so I'm excited to see where you go because I know you're not finished yet there's Mm, always cogs turning in Amy's mind I need to I need to (laughs) bloody stop (laughs) when when do you stop yeah I know I don't have time even to do this but here we are so exciting we are Mm. all right move on because otherwise we could talk all day I know (laughs) yeah um so let's go on um, to the decision that you guys made um, after James was old enough when you guys decided that you wanted to grow your family. Um, someone on our social yeah. media um, has asked and we've had a few people ask to hear about how you made that decision, especially after having the experience that you'd had with James and going through NICU and how that affects your decision-making process in going forwards on whether you want to try and have another baby or not. Yeah, it's actually um, 
the question I get, I, I would say that I've gotten asked the most since having Jack is how I made that decision to have another baby after having a premature baby, especially such a traumatic birth. Um, yeah, I remember going, I'm never, never doing that again. Like, that is the worst thing I've ever yeah. experienced. And um, I guess for me, it's it's different for everyone. Everyone's experience with this is different. But for me personally, I don't think I would have forgiven myself if I didn't didn't try. Um, that was my biggest yeah. thing. Like I always wanted to have three babies. That's significantly changed. Definitely done with two. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh, no way. Um, but <laughs> I think it was, yeah, just I just knew that I was, you know, I was born to be a mum. I really wanted to give James mm-hmm. a sibling. That was another big, um, big influence of my decision. And I guess I from early on because I knew that we were going to have well I assumed that we were going to have trouble falling pregnant again I, early on I sort of just I did my own research we talked about it a lot yeah. we actually had what that's what's called pre-pregnancy counseling so after James yeah. they um, booked me into the women's and children's to speak to a um, specialist about what we would need to do if we had another baby um, so we actually mm-hmm. quite early on spoke to him about what the process would involve for us um mostly because of the platelet disorder that James was born with we knew that it would affect the second baby which made it extremely high risk pregnancy um so yeah we just did a lot of research and a lot of talking and we came to the decision together that it's something that we had to do for ourselves and if it didn't happen I think we kind of we would have you know found peace with that but knowing that we tried did you find that you had um anybody around you make comments about trying for another baby or like any negativity did you receive any negativity over that decision or was it something you shared with people that you were trying again yeah so I blogged our whole um trying to conceive journey with Jack so um if anyone wants to see it in more detail it's all on my Miracle Mama blog but um I did like so we obviously um then went through infertility again um we sort of tried on our own for a little while knowing that it probably wasn't going to work I didn't I was getting more regular periods but I didn't think I was ovulating I didn't they were very irregular um like I'd have a cycle that was Mm -hmm. 45 days I'm like how am I going to know when I'm ovulating um and then I had to have three surgeries so I have endometriosis which I had to have removed I um had some scans which showed that I had a septum down the middle of my uterus which they actually figured out was why James all of a sudden needed to come out so he just ran out of room he was in half a uterus and that's what they kept seeing on my ultrasounds why he was stuck and couldn't move um yeah Yeah. essentially he just ran out of room um so I had three surgeries to have this septum removed which is basically just a wall down the middle of my uterus when they thought I had a heart-shaped uterus it wasn't it was a tissue wall dividing my uterus in half pretty much down to my cervix yeah so I had three like three significant surgeries to have that removed along with um like lots of dye tests and washouts of my tubes and um I had another DNC to see if that would help with like falling pregnant um and then eventually we did end up trying Clomid again um and I think it was around this stage going back to your question that someone said to me do you think that this is just the universe telling you that you're Mm. not meant to have another baby and I guess that's the one negative comment that really stuck out in my mind um I received so much positive support, but it's always the one negative comment that you remember, isn't it funny? Yeah, um, definitely. But I just remember, yeah. and you do, and that, that plants a seed in your mind. And I, we started questioning ourselves and going, what are we, are we, are we taking this too yeah. far? Um, you know, are at we what doing point the right do we thing? Say, yeah. yeah, what point do we say enough's enough? Are we, 
are we are we risking my life we're we risking our baby's life if we if we do this um but we'd already sort of answered those questions before I think it's just this person replanted that seed yeah and we had to push it away because this was our journey and no one else can tell you mm-hmm. um when enough yeah. is enough and I know I mean people who have been through multiple rounds of IVF um they they're the only ones that can tell them when they need to stop like it has to be your own decision um yeah so we yeah we did Clomid and I fell pregnant I think again around the second or third cycle um and again unfortunately that ended in a miscarriage um another early one which I had announced on Facebook um Mm -hmm. being you know the open and honest person that I am and then obviously when that when I miscarried I felt like an idiot but I again received so much love and support and yeah I realized that it was you know no one no one was nasty about it um but I you know again I was like what am I doing I'm gonna like such an idiot sharing this pregnancy so early but that was just that's just me I um yeah I want like I said I want to support other people and I don't want people to have to hide their what they're going through and if they need support to encourage them to reach out I'm not saying everyone needs to do what I do but yeah um yeah and by you sharing that story it allowed for people to support you as well because miscarriage can be a very very lonely process and the fact that you'll be able to you were able to share it just I think there's such a stigma around not sharing and yeah yeah and then being like almost shamed about it like that's what I that's why I shared so early because I was like even if I do miscarry I don't want people to feel like they have to be ashamed about or that they've done anything wrong and um like it was it was at the ultrasound when I found out I'd miscarried that I immediately that was my first one of my first thoughts was what are people going to think and then I'm like stop it Amy this is why yeah. you shared early you wanted to be the yeah. one to change yeah. that stigma yeah um because I did I felt like it like I felt guilty and I did I felt stupid yeah um which you shouldn't feel when you've just experienced a miscarriage yeah it, and yeah that's right and I just I did I slapped myself Awful. out of it and I was like no nah, you're, yeah. you're just paving away uh, the way for other people to feel like they can share and talk about it and it's not something that you need to hide away and wallow in on your own like yeah there's so as we know there's so many people that experience miscarriage now it's um the statistics yeah. are scary really but um for, for so yeah. long there especially my first miscarriage I, again I hardly knew anyone that had gone through it so um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you'll get a real, um, theme with me. It's the whole, I don't want anyone to feel that they're going through anything alone because you never are. Um, yeah, it's so important. Yeah. And like, like yeah. you were saying, like the people with the negative comments, that's why I share because yeah. I need to change that mindset. Yeah. People shouldn't feel like they can ask questions like the whole, um, you know, do you think that you need to stop trying now or, um, comments about, oh, when are you trying for another baby? You know, all that people just need to yeah. stop um and I think the yeah. more we talk about I, I think it, sometimes you I think sometimes you can never win like if you hadn't mm. have tried it would have been oh like don't you want to give James a a sibling yeah, but the then other you do try and yeah. it's like oh yeah so you can't win either way yeah. so I think you just yeah. have to have that conversation in your little family structure and you guys obviously yeah. came to the best decision to to keep trying and you you finally fell pregnant with yeah. Jack yeah so um how exciting again naturally funny enough I um after that miscarriage I had to go back and have another surgery so that included a DNC and a washout and all of that and I and removed a lot of endo and I fell pregnant naturally when I was I think I I, I took about three months to let my body heal and in that stage we were really processing 
the, the um, miscarriage and whether we wanted to keep going with this. Um, so I allowed myself some time to grieve and um, get the strength to go again. And yeah, we did. We fell ne- pregnant naturally. And this is the part like when people say, how did you um, decide to have another baby or how did you cope with having a pregnancy after having mm-hmm. a preemie? This is the part I want to say to you. You are not alone when you feel yeah. anxious, um, scared every single day when you are pregnant after having miscarriages and premature babies. Um, I really struggled in my pregnancy with Jack. I love being pregnant. I absolutely enjoy the the growing and the um, feeling the baby kick. I am one of the lucky ones that didn't experience hyperemesis and stuff. But Jack's pregnancy was filled with drama. It was a shit show yeah. from the start. Um, so from the get-go, I was a nervous wreck. Um, I really struggled. My mental health deteriorated. I was anxious. Um, I kid you not, I'd feel a niggle and I thought that it was all done. Like it was, yeah. I, you know... Just on high alert. So many all the things. Time. Oh, the whole time. And the stress. Yeah. Like I just I remember I was in an op shop once and I sneezed and I <laughs> half wet myself. Yeah, had a you had a bit of a a, <laughs> yeah, a, a moment. Light, light bladder leakage. Um <laughs> it was more than light. I like <laughs> crawled with my legs crossed out of that shop. No, um but I was like, <laughs> right, have I actually leaked fluids? Like, is this my water? I just, you know, yeah. which is fair enough. Like, that's a fair enough assumption to make. But yeah. there was just so much that. But that that wouldn't usually be the first thing that you would jump to if you no, had, you'd had just, a normal you'd just experience laugh. beforehand. You'd just be like, shit, just peed myself. <laughs> yeah. See you later, ladies. Like, yeah, not like, um, fuck, I've, that's my waters. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of reasons to be anxious too. So, um, like I said, it was full of um, complications. So, at 12 weeks... Um, I was bleeding. Um, I had, you know, the blood tests and the scans that they do at 12 weeks and the blood test came mm-hmm. back showing I had low PAPA. I'm not going to explain it, but it basically means you've got high risk of getting preeclampsia and having a premature baby or a growth restricted yeah. baby. It basically mm-hmm. um, links to placenta issues. So I was um, being monitored really closely for that. At 18 weeks, I my cervix started to shorten quite quickly and dramatically. So I went in for an emergency cervical suture which is just a stitch they literally stitched me up to keep that baby inside um Mm -hmm. again we we probably had this issue with James but because they weren't checking it that we didn't know so um the fact that I was just being closely monitored yeah this time um means at least they were picking up on these things I guess um so I was put on bed rest from 18 weeks I wasn't allowed to work because I'm a nurse and I wasn't allowed to be on my feet um, so I, you know, had a toddler at home on bed rest. Yeah. He broke his leg at this point and I couldn't, <laughs> so he couldn't even walk. I couldn't pick him up. You almost laugh to yourself when you're sitting there and the doctor says to you, like, you need to go on bed rest. You're like, <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. I'm like, Funny. that is not going to happen. They're like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> they were realistic. They're like, you can't do nothing, obviously. Um, yeah. you know, I'm like, I have to, I still have to lift him into his car seat and, you know. Yeah. Um, but when, when he when he broke his leg, thankfully it was only a minor um, fracture and he only needed a cast for a week. But Scott and I just like looked at each other. I just remember us just shaking our head and going, of course, of course this is happening yeah. to us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I had to go in at 20 weeks. So two weeks after the stitch, I had to go in for weekly infusions to the hospital. So every week I had to go in um, for eight hours, sit there, get an IV and have infusions. And that was for the platelet disorder. So that was to prevent yeah. my body from attacking my baby's platelets. And so that was a weekly thing. And every week the doctor would come and scan to check that there was no bleeds on the brain. Um, 
And then at about 34, 33 weeks, I reckon when I was in there for the weekly infusion, I mentioned to the nurses that I had some pain under my, I don't know what side it was, but under my rib cage um, Mm -hmm. that was really uncomfortable and keeping me awake at night. And they took a urine sample and I had protein in my urine and I was developing preeclampsia. So I was admitted from then and I wasn't allowed to go home. And while I was in there being monitored for preeclampsia, I went into preterm labor multiple times and they stopped me multiple times from going into labor but then at about 34 and 5 I think it was um 34 weeks and five days the doctor walked in I'll never forget and said it's time that's literally what he said he just said it's time and my blood levels had gone my liver was starting to be affected and I had developed help syndrome and I was I just remember I was incredibly dangerous yeah, yeah like I was at risk of seizures um but yeah so thankfully this time because we were prepared, I was allowed to have a planned C-section. Again, I couldn't deliver naturally because of the blood disorder um, and my uterus issues. Um, so, yeah, they thankfully the nurse convinced the doctor to let Scott like to to give Scott time to come in. Initially, he was like, "We're going now," and I was like, "No way, is Scott missing the second birth of yeah. our child?" Um, yeah. So they let him gave him time to drop off James somewhere and come in, and yeah, we delivered Jack in a very controlled so we'd spoken to the ne- the neonatal doctors um knowing that he was going to come early we'd spoken to them about what sort of a birth like as much as our you know any birth plan we ever had went well out the window um yeah when when James was born but we talked about you know doing as much as possible for me to try and heal from yeah. James's traumatic birth so they were amazing yeah. i had my favorite yeah. two doctors in the room um I got to have a cuddle with Jack. That was my one thing. I said, I want to be awake and I want to have a cuddle on the um, theatre table. So yeah, Dr. Chad, everyone will know Dr. Chad if you've been to Women's and Children's. <laughs> he wrapped Jack up like a burrito and brought him over to me. And this is a memory I just have to share. He put him on my chest and I'm, I'm a nurse. I took one look at Jack and I just said to him, I said, do you mind just fixing his colour first? Like he was blue. <laughs> he oh, was like, no. he, and he had like... um almost froth like coming out the side of his mouth and I was like I know I'm desperate for this cuddle and you're desperate to give it to me but he's not breathing (laughs) so Dr. Chad took him back and gave him a few puffs of oxygen and um, brought him back and I had a little cuddle and then he went off to NICU yeah so how was um Jack's NICU stay compared to James's they were obviously um different um different gestations and they both had different journeys so yeah very where did Jack go He was amazing as well. So he only needed a week um, in the nursery. Um, Even then, I feel like that was probably a bit rushed. Again, Dr. Chad knows that I'm a nurse and that I was pretty keen to get home and start our normal, some sort of a normal life um, after everything we'd been through. Um, So he, I reckon he took Jack off the monitors after like 24 hours, which was incredible. I was like, are you sure? (laughs) I was like, do you you want to be doing this? It doesn't sound very, it doesn't sound very big, but when your baby gets like the monitors turned off, you're just sitting there like there's black screens. You're like, holy shit, that's that's a huge step. And after like, you know, sitting there for five weeks with James and watching these monitors and for it to happen so quickly, Uh, I was like, I get that this is going to be a way better experience, but it just, it still scared me. Um. And then he, Jack, latched on pretty quickly and learnt to breastfeed pretty quickly. Um, He had a bit of laryngomalacia diagnosed in the nursery, so he had a very big squeak when he fed. So it's um, just a floppy airway basically, but um, they were happy um, with with that and said he'd grow out of it. And then we were discharged after a week, again on the nasogastric tube, just till we established feeding. But he had that out again in a couple of weeks. And, yeah, he... um, 
smashed his smashed his nursery journey. Yep. Yeah. So after obviously two quite like your second birth was a lot calmer but still traumatic after two traumatic births is it something that still affects you now the trauma that surrounded those two births or like how do you feel now after experiencing what you've experienced yeah so it's funny I've said I've talked about this before how Jack's birth actually almost healed healed me a little bit um it really I can't describe the environment in that theater on that day but everyone was so calm um even though it was a premature baby and you know there was a risk of this platelet disorder being an issue um everyone just seemed so relaxed and it was almost like they knew that I needed it I remember they put on this beautiful music and Dr Chad was just there having a chat like just literally like it wasn't even happening it was just bizarre yeah here I am in theater and you know they they had to remove my stitch, it's obviously. It's a nicer experience. And yeah, and I just remember, like, coming home and going, I feel like, you know, James's, the trauma of James's birth will always be with me and I will, yeah. I can remember every second of that day so vividly um, and it still, like, you know, gives me goosebumps and I still well up when I tell the story. But, um, Jack, yeah, there's something about the way my second experience was that sort of, Helped me to, I guess, process yeah. James's and yeah. with James's birth, it, I keep I always say that it happened for a reason. If if that didn't happen, yeah, you know, there's so many things that could have gone wrong with James's birth. Like if I hadn't called the obstetrician and gone, you know, and got checked. Mm-hmm. If they were, to, if the hospital had sent me home when they were talking about sending me home, if those alarms hadn't gone off, I would have been at home. If I'd birthed vaginally, if he'd stayed longer inside. James this is if he'd stayed longer inside his platelets would have depleted completely and he wouldn't have survived like there are so many things that could have gone wrong and I almost feel like he knew that he needed to come out and he knew the safest way to do that and it's I literally feel like all of the things that happened to make him come out safely was his doing like I always say he knew he needed to be here and he had the courage to to do it and I know that sounds ridiculous I'm talking about a baby in my uterus but no but it yeah no I can't as much as it was horrific and you know, I probably will never recover <laughs> from it. I'll, um, yeah. I'm I'm grateful that we had that experience because he wouldn't yeah. be here if we oh, didn't. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And you probably wouldn't be able to support the people you do now without yeah, the experiences right. that you've been through. So. Yeah. I've always been like, we've been through so much, after, like one thing after another, and it's kind of so relentless and I feel like I've never got time to process anything that we've been through before the next thing comes and slams me in the face but it's brought me to where I am today if if I didn't have James I wouldn't have Miracle Mama I wouldn't have you I wouldn't have my community Um, I wouldn't have the perspective that I have now Um, I've learned so much yeah and I'm a different person I'm a completely different person to what I was before I had my boys Um, so yeah Yeah. I don't it's shit that you know everything we've been through and I wish it was easier um but I also wouldn't change it for the world funnily it's just yeah yeah, it's made me who I am today and it's brought me so much happiness yeah yep yep yeah and that's the best way to see it um yeah I think it's like finding the positive I mean you can't always but trying to find the positive and bringing something positive out of out of it yeah yeah definitely so I suppose now that we've been through um both births and your journey through pregnancy and miscarriage and IVF, I would really now like to dive into your little darling, Jack, Mm. (laughs) whose medical journey 
didn't end when he left the NICU. If anything, it um, sort of went downhill from that point and, mm. and it has been sort of an up and down roller coaster for you for his whole life. So yeah. tell us yeah. all about Jack and what his diagnosis is and where he is now. Yeah, so Jack is two and two and a half-ish now. Um, he's my little sunshine, my little ray of light um he's so beautiful he's got the cutest cutest little curls ever oh my god he's so, so bloody cheeky um yeah yeah so I don't want to go into too much detail because I know a lot of people would have found me through social media um and know a bit of our story but it's important for me to tell you the main point so after he came home from the nursery yeah. um he did really well for the first maybe couple of months and then he got RSV which is a nasty respiratory virus it's one of the worst ones you can get mm-hmm. um which made him really unwell. He was in hospital for a week on high flow. His lung collapsed. Um, yeah, he needed um, feeding tube reinserted and was nil by mouth because um, he, he literally couldn't even stay awake to feed. He was really sick. Um, and then we obviously eventually he got better and we came home, but he never got better. I remember as a nurse mm-hmm. watching him and his breathing was horrible um he was wheezy he was chesty he had an awful cough and I just kept like telling the doctors and I kept getting the oh he's you know recovering um and then eventually like we had admission after admission with and they just kept saying it's a virus he's a premie he you know he had a really bad illness recently but my mum gut was like no 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 and eventually a pediatrician listened to me and ordered swallow studies and some extra tests like airway screens and we found out that he had quite significant floppy airway so not just his laryngomalacia but he also had tracheomalacia and bronchomalacia so all the way down to his lungs it was just floppy um Mm. And he was, when he swallowed, it was going into his lungs. Um, so similar yeah. to a willow. Um, so he was aspirating quite severely. So he was, he had a nasogastric tube put in um, for feeding and we were told we had to stop breastfeeding. That was at about five months old and he's still um, fed by a feeding tube. He's now got a peg, which is not the tube that goes into the nose down into the tummy. It just goes directly through his abdomen wall into the tummy. Um, and he hasn't improved at all, his swallow, I mean. Um, he still severely aspirates. They say by two they should have start at least started to see improvement, but he's just the rare kid that is doing it his own way. <laughs> yeah. Um, on top of that, he's got lung damage now, so chronic lung damage from having recurrent chest infections. We spent his first well, probably one and a half years of his life in and out of hospital with pneumonia, chest infections. Um, he had to go in for a two-week chest physio and IV antibiotics um, admission because he got such a wet chronic cough that he was just yeah drowning in mucus basically in his chest um he's also recently got diagnosed with immune deficiency so after a whole year of frequent blood testing they have um decided to treat his immune deficiency and he's now getting weekly infusions which are two little needles into his thighs which is just heartbreaking um he has that every Mm -hmm. week and it lasts an hour and a half the infusion runs for and that's basically just to boost his immune system and it's working I know it sounds awful and it is awful and um it's the last thing we wanted to do we tried everything we're on he was on long-term antibiotics like we'd done all of the tests and removed all of the risks but um he was just still getting so sick so this is the best way to keep him healthy and he has been since starting them he started them about three or four months ago now and he's been the healthiest that he's ever been yeah Um, yeah. and especially like at the moment with the dreaded the c word Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say it um like you have to make sure that he is protected as much yeah. as you can and if yeah. if he's hopefully never gonna 
remember this and if he yeah. does you'll tell him why you did it and yeah you all you're doing is protecting him his resilience is beyond anything that I can ever yeah. describe like I yeah. I know it, it's like I always say like I wish he didn't have to be so resilient I would wish he didn't have to be so yeah. brave I say he's the bravest boy I've ever met he's taught me how to be brave um and I'm still not as yeah. brave as him um like he's had he's had so much medical trauma and he does suffer significantly with medical trauma if we have to go into hospital he really struggles but he bounces yeah. back so bloody quickly and like if that was yeah. me I'd just be like nah never leaving the house again yeah. but he just, he's done. just like this yeah oh, he's just they're incredible these kids and I wish he yeah. didn't have to be so resilient and go through everything that he does but the way that they handle this it's just I mean, we're getting support for his medical trauma and he's getting, um, he's got a lot of therapies. He sees speech therapy, he sees play therapy, um, feeding therapy. We got a lot of uh, like NDIS support. Um, yeah. And I know, you know, like you said, he may not remember this, but um, he's just so loved yeah. and so happy. And I, yeah. we've, I just, I'm <laughs> proud of us for doing, for raising him yeah. to be such a beautiful little boy, despite everything he's been through. Um, I think we're very carefree people Scott and I and we um we just don't let it affect our lives to the point that he you know that he feels like it's different <laughs> I know that sounds weird yeah. but um I don't think that he thinks that he's any different he's known no different no. his whole life and um, this is just yeah. his life and now with yeah. his needles every week he goes it's needle time and he goes not scary yeah. like he he's yeah. he's actually quite he probably, aware yeah he probably thinks everyone else is different yeah like why aren't you having this James yeah. like come on mate <laughs> and he's not at that age yet that yeah. he, he's like look when he goes out he's looking to see if everyone else has got a feeding tube like he's not at no. that age that he understands to that extent but I don't think that he thinks that this is not the normal and like that's because we've yeah. kind of raised him to to think that yeah um, you know he's got we we normalize his experiences as much as possible and we don't we don't let it define him. We we do everything that we would have done if he didn't have all of these complexities. We went on so a month after his feeding tube was inserted, and he was, you know, he was having so many therapies and appointments and um, tests and procedures at that point. And we went on an eight week road trip in our caravan because I was yeah. like, I'm not. We planned that for so long, and I was like, I'm not letting yeah. this stop us living our lives. Like we can manage. Um, yeah. And I know yeah. not everyone would be up for something like that and that's okay but for me that's my way of that's the only way I'll get through it is if I if I know that I'm giving like doing as much normal things as possible and giving him the experiences that he would have got even if he was he didn't have these um yeah disabilities yeah 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 um so you've mentioned to me before that you feel like some people see having a medically complex child as a burden um why do you think this stigma is around? Do you think it's because of a pure lack of information or just a general naivety of what having a normal child is? Like I say that in like brackets yeah. because what is normal, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, so it's 100% lack of education and understanding. Yeah. I was one of those people before I had Jack. I um, I think people relate, you know, special needs and disability to sadness or a wheelchair or um you know that that it makes their lives less somehow um and they put it's it's all about stigma I mean yeah Dylan Alcott he's the biggest legend oh yeah (laughs) um it's just got Australian of the year and I just absolutely love everything that comes out of his mouth because he's such a 
massive advocate for the disability community and you know not just he's in a wheelchair but not just people like him but the invisible disabilities like Jack like people look at Jack he's no you would not know you would not have any inkling of what he has gone through yeah until you lift his shirt up and see his peg you go Jack where's your button yeah (laughs) that I reckon that was the first thing that he showed me like oh, when I so met him, funny. he was walking around with his top up. He's like, so in a way, maybe he's he like, do, maybe he does realize that that's his special trademark. Yeah, like maybe he does realize that makes yeah. him different. But he absolutely yeah. shows it off. Like it's his. He's so it's proud of it. It's so sweet, and that's his lifeline. Like that's his. Yeah. Yeah. The way he so he would again. He wouldn't with, be yeah. here without that. So like, people can yeah. see it as a burden, but for me, it is like it has helped him to thrive. He yeah. he was he was a sick and unhappy child before he had the pig yeah. or the feeding tube, yeah. and that literally saved him. And he's even his speech and stuff has improved since. Um, you know, all he's he's actually been properly treated yeah. for his like dis, his swallow. So. Like people can look at it as a burden, but it's actually enriched our lives so much. Yeah. Um, Jack has enriched our lives so much. And when people say, oh, you know, or assume that it, it makes our lives less, it actually makes them extra. I've just got this new appreciation um, of life mm-hmm. and a new perspective of life. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I used to be such a highly strung person and I'd sweat the small stuff and I am so not that person anymore, um, yeah. you know, I appreciate the littlest things like Jack, Jack, you know, he said yes the other day and I don't think he said yes before. And I was just like, oh my God, yeah. like we jumped up and down and he's toilet training at the moment. And like, it's like the it's biggest just the little things. deal. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, so exciting. I don't, and I, and I have to admit that I don't know that I would be, would have been this present or this excited by things if we hadn't been through what we've been through. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel as though I've hit the jackpot with him and um or with both of my boys um because they like we were talking about before they've taught me so much and they've changed who I am and um I feel like I'm proving myself every day to be worthy of them like they're just the best little guys um yeah and yeah I just think it's it's mostly stigma and um once again you don't know you don't understand until you've been through it and I have to guess cut people some slack but um you know it's more common than we think so we need to start recognizing um disability and not just yeah not just assuming that it's someone in a wheelchair or yeah. you know someone that's lost a limb or um yeah mm-hmm. has a brain injury there's so many variations and um it 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 doesn't make them any less or their lives any less and it doesn't define them they are a person first no. and foremost yeah, yeah. and jack is yeah. the most typical crazy toddler <laughs> you would ever yeah. meet so like you wouldn't you you wouldn't yeah. look at him and and think he was any different so why then when I tell it you know I tell people that he's got a feeding tube he's got lung damage and he he's got a speech delay and he has infusions every week and he spends so much time in hospital why would we then look at him any different it doesn't change who he is no exactly it's just the way he does things yeah yeah um if you random question if you Mm. could give your boys a message about life after all you've been through what would it be Oh gosh, this is a really tricky one. It's a hard um, one. It's funny because you actually sent me this question to sort of give me a heads up and prep me. And, I did. Um, yeah, I pre-warned you. Yeah, <laughs> I know, and I didn't even, you know, what I didn't even think twice about it. Now I wish I had. Um, I guess what I've already said about don't let others um, make you feel any less than you are, or don't let others try and define you or put you in a box, and just to live your life 
to the fullest no matter what you experience. So that's been my biggest thing throughout everything we've been through is to yeah. uh, make the most out of everything and to um, not sweat the small stuff, um, to find the positive in everything and um, yeah. just live your life to the fullest no matter what gets thrown your way. And yeah. you can you can get through anything. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that's... That's the main things. I really just don't want, especially Jack, to feel like he is any different or defined um, by what he's been through. And we just don't know what his future will look like at this point. And that's what's tricky. Um, But his his lung damage, I don't even know where he's going to be in five years, in 10 years, you know, into his adulthood. Um, And I just don't want him to think that he isn't everything we ever wanted. Like that's, yeah. Do you ever worry about... Obviously, with Jack at the moment, you don't know how long he's going to, like how long into his life is he going to have his peg for or do you ever worry about the way that he will be seen by like his peers, like at kindy or at school or is there a way that we should be educating parents of, like not only parents but parents of children who may have never seen someone like Jack before and seen a peg or... Yeah, I do worry. And kids are so brutally honest and blunt, um, bless yeah. their souls. And the, you know, he's, he gets comments frequently, not so much now that he's got a peg and it's covered. Um, but when he had his nasogastric tube and the tape on his face, kids would come up to him yeah. all the time and like be poking Stare. at it and staring and yeah. they'd say, what's that? Or what's wrong with him? And I don't, with I'm a bit more I'm very lenient with kids because I'm like oh they're just interested and they completely are it's completely innocent and they just want to know and I tell them and I'm very open and honest about it and I think that's that's the main message that we can take is just to be open and honest about it I don't think we need to shield kids from these realities because there's so many kids like him that they're going to come across um it's more the adults and again I'm very welcome to answer answering questions I've had lots of strangers come up and I'd prefer if people come up and comment about how beautiful he is or you know I had one lady come up and yeah. say he's got the most amazing sp- smile look at his curls and yeah. really like led into a conversation yeah. and then started asking me about his tube and I was so happy to you know join in that discussion because she wasn't you know that wasn't the first thing but I've had a ma- I've literally had an old man yeah not that it matters that he was old but you understand where I'm coming from <laughs> come up to me and say um <laughs> it's just that generation I think he literally just walked yeah. up to me in the street and goes what's wrong with him in that tone and I just <sighs> looked at him and I was just like nothing that's how he's fed felt like saying what's like, wrong with you yeah, yeah. I was like what's wrong with your manners oh, some people just jeez yeah and, like, and that's literally like what a kid would say like yeah I just I think we just need to speak more openly about it again it's like not yeah. hiding it away kids want to know um you know, they're, they're interested. So I've had one mum go, oh, don't, you know, don't ask, don't ask such rude questions. I'm like, that's not rude. I'm happy to talk about it. Like, you know, we don't have to shy. Yeah. If we say don't, you know, if we tell our kids not to be curious about stuff like that, then we're almost encouraging that that's wrong. Like what Jack's, like his tube is abnormal or, you know, we put that in their heads then by saying, oh, don't ask about it. Then that kid's going to think that there's something wrong with Jack. And there isn't like, we, we should just be yeah. openly talking about it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you are amazing. You are so good at advocating for your boys and you have just raised such a stigma off what it's like to have a medically complex child. I know that when I found you guys on Facebook, um, when Willow was in hospital, I just, it was so amazing to have that community of people 
around you yeah. that were going through what what you were and you are an absolute asset to our community and to our audience. So thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so glad there's something there for people now because there wasn't yeah. when, yeah, there wasn't five years ago. Yeah. And it's so important. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, so, having a chat. Yeah, I know. It's always lovely. We could go on for hours. I know. We? I'm looking at the time going, okay, we've got to wrap it yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Next, so next week, week we, yeah. yes, I'm really excited about this oh, one. Me too. Um, we are going to speak to our first ever podcast guest, the beautifully open and free-spirited Danny, who is also a very good friend of ours. Um, yes, we love you, Danny. Yes, she has experienced an incredibly turbulent medical journey with two Premier girls, with the second girl, Malia, experiencing long-term complications with the effects of being born at 24 weeks and a tiny 420 grams. Mm. Um, I was lucky enough to meet Danny. Uh, Willow was born at Flinders as well. Um, so we walked the same hallways of the, the NICU and... Um, yeah. Malia still requires intensive care at home um, and after nearly losing her multiple times Danny has such an incredible story to share and we are sure she will inspire you the way she inspires us every single she's day she's an absolute legend yeah oh, she and is, you, but you, yeah. <laughs> you think we could chat all day now wait till we get us three oh together look out <laughs> We're going to have a lot of editing to Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to have to crop a lot of the shit out. But, um, yeah. No, it'll be I a think good, it's probably good a good fun. thing. It's probably a good thing we're not in person because that would not go yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, All right. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye, guys. See you guys. See you next time. Bye.